0: I always try and encourage people, especially brown women, to carry themselves with the confidence of a cis straight white man in any room that you walk into. And it sounds silly, I know, but you do it once and you will feel on top of the world. If you are not believing in yourself completely and you don't have the faith in yourself to do the things that you want to accomplish, then nobody else is going to do that for you. The way you're presenting to the world the world starts seeing you that way, and then you become that person.
1: Chi Chi Oho Bad I'm Sangeeta Pillai and this is the Masala Podcast, this multi-award-winning feminist podcast for and by South Asian women is all about cultural taboos from sex sexuality mental health menopause to nipple hair and more this season is a u.s special and it took me by surprise you see i interviewed these incredible south asian american women i expected to hear some angst around identity and belonging instead they told me how comfortable they were with both their south asian and American identity. I confess, this is not the podcast season I set out to record. It's so much more powerful. I had the most joyous conversation with Tanya Gupta. Tanya is a New York-based art director, multimedia artist, and content creator. Born in the UK, she and her family moved to the US and spent some time in India too all of which informs her work. I was super excited to hear that Tanya used to be a NASA aerospace engineer. Yes, NASA, a childhood dream for so many of us. And Tanya made it happen. She worked on a prototype aircraft, which now sits at the Smithsonian. And she also owns a software patent with Kennedy Space Center. How amazing. In 2021, Tanya became the first Indian-American to join the Adobe Creative Residency, after which she directed social campaigns for Tom Ford Beauty, Disney, Toyota, and more. In 2022, Tanya was honoured on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list. Her work has also been featured in Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, and Teen Vogue. What I love about Tanya is how she lives life in the fullest, brightest, colors you can imagine.
0: So I always like to tell people the story about the first time I went to Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas. I must have been about nine or 10 years old and I had family in Houston. So I visited for the first time and I saw my first astronaut spacesuit and model of the shuttle and mm-hmm. just absolutely fell in love with it. And ultimately, space scares me. And that was the reason why Mm. I wanted to pursue it, because I always want to learn Mm. more about things that scare me. And like every child, I mean, NASA is a name that everyone knows. And I think on paper, it sounds very glamorous and exciting. But the way that I ended up getting there was quite difficult, because I went through my entire undergraduate experience without any uh, internship experience or job experience. And it was my Second term senior year that I was offered this position to fly out to California and be an engineer and an intern, but Mm -hmm. uh, ultimately an operations engineer at NASA. So I'm very lucky that I got to do that, but I did have to make quite a few sacrifices as well. I didn't get to graduate on time or with my friends. I had to extend my undergraduate experience by a year, but I would not trade that for the world. It was a dream come true. I got to work in the middle of the Mojave Desert for one rotation and then for the other I was right at Cape Canaveral watching rocket launches at Kennedy Space Center and helping patent a software uh, tool. So got to do a a lot of really incredible things during my time there that's for sure.
1: So how do you go from like designing spacecrafts to (laughs) to designing these kind of what I think of as quite beautiful and surreal works of art, I think, is and commissions that you do. How, how did that journey happen? They're very different worlds, right?
0: They seem like different worlds on the surface, but the reality is, is that they're quite similar. So when I was at Kennedy Space Center, I helped patent this 3D modeling software tool that takes polygon-based models and converts them to mesh-based models, which is just a fancy way of saying that when you have a 3D model that you dissect in sections, you can see all of the internal makeup of that. You can see all the screws the nuts and bolts. When you're making something like a video game or a virtual experience for VR, mm-hmm. you don't need to represent yeah. everything inside. You just need a surface area representation so that you can see the object from far away. And up until that point when I was there in 2018, there was no such tool that could do that efficiently, go from one to Mm. another. And NASA has this enormous repository of 3D models. So that was what I was helping them create. And Mm. I didn't know it at the time, but ultimately that ended up helping me a lot as an artist as well, because I do a lot of 3D rendering now for different purposes. I was coming in with a polygon-based 3D modeling background as an engineer, and learning about mesh-based modeling. And now as an artist, I primarily focus in mesh-based modeling, but having that understanding of how these different types of models work and just kind of the inner workings of the software has held me in great stead. And I approach Photoshop much in the same way, which is my primary tool of choice.
1: So what was your family's reaction? So you've gone from this quite you know, big career, the kind of, kind of typical South Asian STEM career, And you're saying to your family that I want to be a designer, I guess, a freelance designer. How did they take that?
0: I actually didn't really know what the next step was. I didn't say I want to be a designer or I want to be an artist. I, at the time, had no idea what that was going to look like.
1: Mm. What I
0: did know was at the time I was working at IBM. So after college, I took a full time role with IBM as a hardware engineer. Mm. And that was what I was doing when lockdown happened. And I had been looking into the Adobe Creative Residency Program for a while, which is a year long incubator for artists hosted by Adobe, sponsored by Adobe. They give you a salary and benefits. Mm. And then in addition to that, they also fund your portfolio projects, however you pitch to them. So I had these wild ideas of, I wanted to do this coffee table book that you could interact with in augmented reality, I had some fashion editorials I wanted to pitch to magazines, a series of other smaller projects involving Photoshop and self-portraiture. And I just threw caution to the wind and sent in an application, told my parents about it, of course, but I think it was only once I was given the offer that mom and dad were like, okay, so this is really happening. And you're going to be leaving engineering behind And what is this going to mean? What is this going to look like? You know, what is, where are you going to go from here? Because we we are a family of planners. Yeah. And I've always had a five, 10, 15 year plan. And this was one of the first times in my adult life that suddenly that plan was going out the window. But I think that the plan that replaced it ended up being what I want ultimately. So, so it all worked out, but, um, there was, a, there was a little bit of um, growing pains initially, but I just took it in my stride and tried not to think too much about the future, Just while I, at least while I was in the year-long residency and just kind of take it from there.
1: So I guess the pandemic really helped, right? In, in, in a sense that it gave you the space to kind of try something that was unusual. Yeah. It almost gave you that pause to kind of experiment and see if this was for you. Is that right?
0: That's absolutely right. Yes. It was a silver lining to come out of a very, very dark time. But I also moved back home with my family, Mm. as many people also did. And that was just kind of the perfect concoction of reasons to start diving into myself and what fulfills me. What am I looking for in my life going forward? You know, I I always make the joke that my prefrontal cortex finally developed. (laughs) It was done cooking And I could actually see my future and visualize it and and be a little bit more critical about my life choices. But also at the same time, I didn't start out thinking that I was going to pivot my career and completely change the trajectory of my life when I started playing around in Photoshop. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was taking my friends and followers smartphone selfie submissions and every day I would choose one randomly and use it to practice in Photoshop and just started sharing my work online. I just started sharing it on Instagram, sharing it on TikTok and then my platform grew and grew and grew and I started getting job opportunities from it. So it was a domino effect but it wasn't initially something that I was really striving for and planning to turn into something bigger than just a hobby but very happy that it turned out the way that it did because I wouldn't be where I am right now if it wasn't for that
1: you were the first Indian American Adobe creative resident is that right that's right that's Um, correct yes that's massive isn't it that kind of accolade for a creative or somebody who's like oh I'm just gonna dabble in photoshop and see where it takes me to that is massive absolutely massive
0: (laughs) thank you thank you yes um it is, it's quite a cool achievement, and as happy I am that I got to be the first, I hope that there will be many, many more.
1: I hope so, too. How did that feel? Did it feel like, hey, I'm being validated here?
0: Yes, absolutely. There, There is a, a sense of validation that comes from being recognized by the company that produces the mm. tool you use as an artist, yes. right? Um, especially since at that point I had only really been using Photoshop for about a year and a half, mm. so it it was very, very validating but i I do want to emphasize that i I want to use my platform and my accolades as a jumping point for other they see women they mm. see people in general, they see creatives, yes, but particularly they see women because sometimes it can be really difficult as brown girls, brown women to not only blindly pursue the thing that fulfills you truly, but especially when that thing is creative. Mm. Um, We come from a culture that prioritizes these noble professions, rightfully so, but there is so much beauty that comes out of creativity and art and music and writing that is equally, if not more important at times. And I think we're finally coming to a precipice where those things are, becoming acknowledged and and coming into the forefront. We're seeing a lot more representation on the screen, representation in writing, even this podcast is a great example of that. I think it's our responsibility as people who come up in this industry to also uplift others and make sure that we're not just focusing on ourselves. Initially, I think that that's what I did. It's natural to, especially when you're young, but the older I get, the more I recognize the importance of highlighting other people's doings as
1: well. Absolutely. And I think that what you mentioned there, I think comes from like a survival mechanism or almost like a, you know, poverty mindset is what I think of. Like there's only Mm -hmm. this much. And that's, Mm -hmm. I think, a result of colonialism and kind of capitalism Mm -hmm. and things like that. There's only this much. So if there's one brown person, there's one brown woman, she's the only one that can be there. So let me make sure that no one else gets in here. Whereas the truth is there's enough and more space for every single one of us doing whatever we want to do in the world today. And like you rightly said, this I feel like this is a really crucial moment for us. You know, suddenly, especially in the States, I think, you know, there's, we're on TV, we're in film, we're in music, we're everywhere. Like suddenly this is the moment of South Asian women you know, kind of totally coming into like, you know, like coming in to kind of take over the world. Yeah. And I I really feel that like it feels like a real energy behind it. And I think therefore it's important, like you said, to then allow space or give support as much as is possible to other women to kind of lift them up because they might not have the opportunities that we have at this moment. Right. And I think the other important point to make is maybe when parents now see you being successful, see Mindy Kaling on screen, see you know, a bunch of other South Asian women being successful and not necessarily being the starving artist, which is what we're told, right? It's like, oh my God, if, you, if you're you an artist, you'll never make any money. Right. And you've got to get a real job, i.e. a STEM job. You can see that's not true anymore. Parents can see that. So hopefully that will allow them to relax as well. Because mm-hmm. I don't think it comes from a bad place. It just comes from like them thinking... Right. I've got to make sure my child has a really good chance in the world. So I'm going to push them in this direction. Absolutely. It's well-meaning, but I don't think we need to do that anymore. So I really feel like this is a, this is such a good time in so many, so many ways.
0: I agree. The representation is just skyrocketing. And I also hope that it's only up from here.
1: What about you? Were you supported? I know you said your parents are hugely supportive, which is great. And obviously you've had like a company like Adobe support you. What about, have you had like an extensive network of people who've supported you, kind of pushed you up?
0: I've been really lucky to build a fantastic community of people in New York City. And I have also picked up some kind of informal mentorships. Mm. Either I am a mentor to someone or I'm a mentee. And I think that that, that's also really important because Mm. I want to have other brown women that I look up to that are doing something similar to what I can envision for myself in the future, Uh, especially older women. I think that's something that a lot of people in their 20s overlook the importance of having people around them who are older in their careers and just in life in general to just visualize things because otherwise you're you're not getting any reference for what your life could look Mm. like 10, 15, 20 years from now. And then Likewise, I think back to how I was when I was in college, where I didn't have a lot of mentorship opportunities, and how much I would have benefited from having someone in my orbit then. So for that reason, I also am extending myself as a mentor to a number of younger women. And that is also very fulfilling to me personally, because I know that I'm also being able to pass along my wisdom whatever that may be whatever little wisdom I may have to someone else
1: that's really wonderful to hear really really good let's talk about your personal style which I love by the way huge fan. thank you so something tells me you're not into like very subtle muted kind of tones (laughs) not at all
0: yeah (laughs) my I always say that my neutrals are pink blue and yellow (laughs) I love that I hardly ever wear nudes um I hardly ever wear black or white. But yes, my personal style and my artistic style are intrinsically related. I make the joke that my entire life has a color scheme, and that is (laughs) truly unintentional. It's an unconscious thing, I should say, because color is the most important aspect of my art and just my experience living life. I'm very, very sensitive to color. If I'm around colors I don't like, I get cranky. It's It really is like I have a visceral mm. reaction to color. For that reason, my bedroom has the same colors as my closet, has the same colors as my artwork, has the same colors as my entire apartment. So I try to keep my home as my, my little safe haven. That's only my safe colors. But I think that that's also a little bit of a benefit because there is consistency among my artwork as well that even if the themes are completely different you can kind of take a look at my work and be like I think that that's that looks like Tanya's work.
1: And I also love with your style with the stuff you wear like I love the boldness of it the big sunglasses the crazy earrings the the bags that look like things I think you (laughs) call them. I love that and I think it says so much about I think our confidence as women because I know like in my 20s I'd wouldn't have dared wear half the stuff I wear now. And now I wear it, I'm like, I don't give a shit. You know, like I wear the blingiest things you can find, like for my birthday. Like I was literally shining from head to toe. And I loved it.
0: Yes, queen.
1: When I was younger, I used to worry about wearing the right clothes. About not being too bold, too bright, too much. Because the world has conditioned women to live within strict rules of what is acceptable and what is not. Even now, I see women around me worrying about fitting in. Dressing up seems to be about wearing the right clothes rather than wearing what makes you happy. As I've grown older, I no longer care. I choose prints that clash, that make my heart happy. I wear styles that I'm told is a bit young. But who gets to decide what is young and what is old? I rock up at events in the brightest colours I can find. I no longer care for the rules of appropriate clothing imposed on women. The next time someone says to me about being too much, i want to turn around and say, I live for too much. I'd rather be too much than too little.
0: I think there's a lot of joy in just... Wearing whatever you want and abandoning other people's opinions. And, you know, sometimes my friends will ask for fashion advice and say, oh, this this pattern doesn't go with this and this color doesn't quite work with this. And I'm like, who made those rules up? You could just not do that. You can just choose to wear whatever you want. And one of my friends made a really funny comment the other day. He was like, you kind of look like what I imagine an eight year old girl would want to look like when she's 26 and i was like that is truly the nicest thing that anyone's ever said to me <laughs> <laughs> i love that because it's so true yeah. i i think that i'm i really have cultivated this like style that does look very much like what i envisioned for myself when i was like a little kid you know and not to keep bringing everything back to the pandemic but that that moment of reckoning that happened then and moving back home to my childhood bedroom it was this moment of like almost regression that Mm. I leaned into fully. Mm. And it's also why I draw so much inspiration from things like Barbie and Polly Pocket in my artwork way before the Barbie movie was even a topic of conversation. And, um, I understand that we all always go through life in phases and especially artists go through phases with their style and their work. And I fully recognize that I may not always be this way. And, it would be great if I was, but consistency is not always guaranteed. And if I can just fully embrace this moment for myself right now and like relish in the color and the boldness and the bigness, the loudness, that's all I really care about. It's all about today and right now and the present. And if I'm happy walking out the door, looking the way that I do, then I'm doing something right.
1: Hey, I wanted to pause this episode for a minute to share something that I'm really excited about. Podcasting changed my life. I went from typing into Google, what is a podcast? Yes, I did that. To creating the multi-award winning Masala podcast. And now I'd like to share some of my knowledge with you. I'm starting podcasting masterclasses on my website. And one of them has been created especially for women podcasters. Just go to my website, soulsutras.co.uk and look under Courses. Or email me at podcasting at and I'll share details with you. I look forward to helping you on your podcasting journey. Dear Teenage Me, yes, I know that your list a big of dreams. And we never of But don't worry, I'm tick off kar bucket list ko, but at our own pace. Dear teenage me is a Spotify original podcast produced by Yuva Originals and hosted by me, SAS Channa. Click on the bell icon and listen now. You talked about kind of the joy of of being a child and 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 having whatever that sparks joy, right? As an 8-year-old, what's exciting colors and you know, patterns and things like that. And that is pure mm-hmm. joy. And I mm-hmm. truly believe it's before the world has got to our heads. You know, you, you know what makes you happy as a child. You don't have to think about it. You love it or you hate it. Mm-hmm. But as we grow older, we've lost that because we've, I think, absorbed a lot of the crap that's being fed to us by the world. And you're like, oh, I'm not sure what I feel anymore. Children know exactly what they feel. So I think if any style or color makes you feel like that, I think it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. The other thing I wanted to touch upon was color, I think, is bold colors, bright colors. Think of our culture. Think of like the holy colors. Think of the saris we wear. Think of the turbans we wear. Everything is big and bold and loud. Think of the, you know, Bollywood costumes. You know, shadi, what we wear in our weddings. Everything is big, right? We're these big, bold, loud, happy people, right? And I think then what happens is we move maybe to to other worlds that don't necessarily have that same aesthetic and i think we learned to tone it down like it was very much my experience i haven't grown up in the uk i live here now i've lived here for 18 years and i mm-hmm. remember moving here and then thinking shit i can't wear a lot of this stuff that i wear because everyone around me was gray and black and beige and brown and i remember having to like oh my god i can't wear this thing now you know, as a moment, and I think I internalize some of it. I'm now coming back into kind of, right, I love this and I'm doing it. But I think the point I'm making is if you are a diaspora, if you're somebody from not from that original culture and you kind of grew up there or born there or whatever, you learn to tone down who you are. And I think color is who we are as South Asians, I believe. I don't know any South Asian community that doesn't love color in whatever shape or form. And it's almost like a going, to me, it's like a going back to the roots of who we are. What do you think?
0: Uh, yeah, I I agree with that. I do. What you're saying is just reminding me of this one conversation I had. I think it must have been sixth or seventh grade. And I was with my girlfriends. We're all hanging out at the lunch table. Mm. And they're all white. I'm the only person of color at the table. And we're all talking about what we want our wedding dresses to look like. Yeah. And they all are all describing these gorgeous white gowns you know and the differences between them are really like sweetheart neckline versus strapless (laughs) but ultimately they're looking for white dresses and i use that as an opportunity to explain to them that in in our culture white is not the color you wear to your wedding Mm -hmm. in fact white is what we wear to funerals and that it's encouraged for everyone to dress very colorfully at the wedding and Mm -hmm. i remember one of the girls saying aren't you worried that someone's gonna upstage you (laughs) And I was like, "What does that even mean? <laughs> like, that's encouraged, if yes. anything. I want Go you to show ahead. up and show out. Like, wear your finery. Just, I mean, I want everyone to treat my wedding like their Met Gala. <laughs> and I, I couldn't understand why they didn't also see yes. it that way. Anyway, yes, I can. I can understand that that sense of wanting to tone down." The color and and just your style in order to fit in. You know, I have grown up outside of India my whole life. But uh, when I moved to New York City, particularly, I remember I went through this moment of like, I'm going to fit in and I'm going to do the whole wearing all black kind of grungy thing. I did it for like a year and a half and then discovered the color pink again and realized how much joy I had been missing out on for that year and a half that I was only wearing black. So yeah, it is so much easier said than done to ignore the haters and just ignore those invisible voices that tell you you should or shouldn't look a certain way. And it's always going to be a learning curve. Nobody's perfect. But once you can start tuning that voice out, it really changes things.
1: That is beautiful. Really is. Also, color is like happy, isn't it? Like you look at a bright color and I'm sure like the serotonin levels in your brain increase. I'm, I'm sure. Totally. Like I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure they do, at
0: least, especially in my case where I have such a visceral reaction to color. I'm sure
1: there's some like serious brain chemistry going on there. Yeah, and I think that would happen for a lot of people, I think. I know for me, definitely. Mm-hmm. Like when I want to feel like buzzy or excited, I wear bright colors bright pinks I love a fuchsia like I'm a huge fan I have a lot of fuchsia in a wardrobe or blues or greens you know like you know like the the brightest saris like the kanji saris they are beautiful you know the parrot green kanji sari like, yes oh yes. my god it's just stunning gorgeous like, talking of color I really wanted to talk about the shoot you did for Toyota the holy colors yes I absolutely love that and I wanted to know how did did that come about like were you kind of touching into your heritage when you came up with the idea or did it just evolve? Like, how did that happen? Yeah, it was such
0: a cool opportunity um, that thankfully actually kind of landed in my lap. So I did not seek it out. I was reached out to by this primarily API content creating firm that was working with Toyota at the time and they wanted to do a holy themed shoot. So they came in with the with the concept that we're going to be doing this for yeah. holy. We have yeah. this new car coming out. We'd yeah. like to feature. And so it came at perfect timing for me because mm. I took a trip to India in February. I went to visit my family in New Delhi and that was around the time frame that we were ideating and getting ready to produce this mm. content. And so I was flown out to Dallas, where the Toyota headquarters are, and provided the car and a crew on behalf of that studio that Toyota was working with. And we kind of together came up with this joint concept, which really focused on my photo compositions, my photo manipulation, and the color scheme of my work in general. But highlighting the car while at the same time also bringing in different elements of holy the holiday the mythology of it, just generally the vibe of holy, right? Like I feel like this is another example of this crucial moment we're at right now where our culture is being celebrated because I've lived here almost my whole life and I've never heard in the mainstream a company as big as Toyota making an ad for holy. You'll see things for Christmas, you'll see things for Hanukkah, you'll see things for Easter, everything in between. This was the first time that I was seeing something for us. And it was so special to get to be a part of that and to be kind of a part of history, not to make it grander than it is, but it feels to me like that's a very historical thing. It is. And most importantly, it was just really exciting to bring my personal style and my color and my aesthetic into something that Could touch so many people and that could be relatable for so many people so many of our people who may be seeing these advertisements and going hey that's
1: me you know I feel seen right yeah so Tanya you've been named in the Forbes under 30 list that is amazing congratulations
0: thank you thank you so much it feels great it feels really really good uh, it it is something that I had been hoping to achieve for years. Um, since I was in college, I think it was something that I strived for, but didn't really know how it would happen. Um, especially since I was pursuing this career in STEM, I thought that I was gonna go the route of working in engineering for however many years, going back and getting my MBA, turning C-suite somewhere, and then like revolutionizing Apple or Google or something of the accord, and. Although that didn't end up happening, I surprised myself. So I was nominated by a fellow colleague from Adobe, actually. And I was nominated for the art and style category. So that's the category that I actually made the list for, which is so wild because the list came out in December of 2022. And I incorporated my company, my studio, Goptanya Studios, in July. So I had only really been full time my own boss and running my own studio in New York City for about six months when I made it onto the list. So I was I was going through this moment of like doubt and lack of clarity because the residency had just ended and I was going into the world as an artist and having to call myself that and then this happened. And as much as I don't want to my value and worth on an accolade. <laughs> so I feel yes. like I've done that for most of my life. A lot of brown people do that for most of their life. I, I would be lying if I said that it didn't completely change the way that I see myself and, and instill like a great deal of confidence in me that I'm, to this day, I'm facing the effects of that.
1: So if someone were following your work, say on social media and looking at all the amazing projects you do... A lot of people would think that it's all happening. You know, it's happening effortlessly. And, you know, Tanya's up there doing this and that and Forbes and la la la. But it's not that simple, is it, as a creative person? Can you talk a little bit about the struggle and what happens behind that glossy Instagram reel? Oh my
0: gosh, yeah. The struggle is real. There's so much self-doubt that comes in with being a creative person. Art is so subjective. And as an artist, you have complete and total say over the final product. No matter whether it's a commission, whether you're doing it for yourself, whether you're putting the work out into the world, whatever it may be, it's this is your thing. And you have to have confidence in yourself that you know what you're doing and not be too marred by other people's judgments or opinions. That alone is very difficult. And I know it may seem to an outsider that everything's falling into place and it's just one thing after another, after another. But there's so many of these moments in between those things that are really difficult. It can be so isolating being a creative, especially if you don't have a creative circle in your immediate vicinity, in your network. I'm very lucky that my roommate is also creative. And I think that that has helped me so much because if I didn't have a sounding board in my physical space encouraging me, I don't know what I would do. But yeah, there's, you know, doubt creeps in and you just have to fight the imposter syndrome and remind yourself of all the things that you've achieved up until now that have gotten you to where you are, accolades or not. And my goal every day when I wake up is just to be happy. I know that's so cheesy. And a lot of people say that, a lot of creative people say that, a lot of successful people say that, which is why sometimes I I take it with a grain of salt and like, of course you want to be happy. Like your life seems great, right? But it never is what it seems on the outside. And it's always a highlight reel on social media and you never really know what somebody is going through. And it can be so much more challenging than people realize.
1: Absolutely. And I think therefore it's important to hear From people who seem successful, that there's a lot that goes behind that Instagram reel. What would you say to brown women in particular? Because I know a lot of us creatives in general have huge imposter syndrome. And if you're a brown woman who's trying to make it in a particular space, that's even harder. How do you work with it? What do you do?
0: Some people might say that I can be aggressive or bossy. Those typical words that are um, I used are to describe assigned. strong women,
1: basically, yeah.
0: Absolutely. I've been dealing with that my entire life since I was very little. I always try and encourage people, especially brown women, to carry themselves with the confidence of a cis straight white man in any room that you walk into. And it sounds silly, I know, but you do it once and you will feel on top of the world. Yeah. It is... Yeah so much easier to be delusional than you think and <laughs> if you're delusional for long enough you actually start making things happen and I'm you know I am I mean I'm half joking but I do firmly firmly believe in manifestation and visualization and if you are not believing in yourself completely and you don't have the faith in yourself to do the things that you want to accomplish, then nobody else is going to do that for you. It has to come from within. And it sometimes might feel like a lie. It might feel like you're just faking it. But that's the point. It's fake it till you make it. Because before you know it, the way you're presenting to the world, the world starts seeing you that way. And then you become that person. So carry yourself with utmost confidence. And if people call you aggressive and bossy, ignore them. Because as long as you are a kind person and you are not being mean or rude to other people, as long as you are not causing harm to another individual, you are well within your right to ask for what you want and put your foot down and make your voice
1: heard. I've always thought that only certain people are allowed a voice in the world. I remember when I used to work at this big marketing job. Every time we had a meeting, this one guy would walk into the room and speak the loudest. He had the right accent. He'd been to the right sort of schools. So he always walked into the room like he owned it. Every time he spoke, his ideas would get picked up. I'd probably have an idea that was even better. But because I spoke quietly, My ideas never got picked up. So I learned to speak less and less at meetings because I felt like, what was the point really? I wonder sometimes if that's the reason I started a podcast. So I could speak, you know, really speak, have a loud and a proud voice, say what I thought and say it exactly how I liked it. You know, I didn't have a voice in those marketing meetings, but I did definitely have a voice now what about the inner work what about how do we as brown women brown women creatives whatever you're doing in the world build that kind of resilience or inner validation Mm. because there's external validation is great yeah but the inner work is really really critical so how do we do that
0: I would be remiss if I didn't mention the impact of my mom in all of this. Mm-hmm. My mother comes from a long, long line of extremely educated and fierce women. Um, my nani was a professor, uh, and her mother and her mother's mother were also in the education professions at times of colonialism where girls were not encouraged to get educations at all. In fact, I think it was my mom's grandmother who was the principal of a school at a time where the school didn't even take girls Mm. as students. And then also my, my nanny was a single parent because my mother's dad passed away when she was very, very young. So my nanny raised three kids, two of them girls all on her own while working full time in New Delhi in like the previous century, you know? So my mom's perspective on feminism hugely, hugely impacted my view of myself and therefore also my view of other women. I mean, I come from a family that never has put pressure on me about getting married or even having a relationship. It's always been focused on your career, focus on your financial freedom, um, focus on yourself, on your health and your wellness and your friendships, cultivate those. My mother is my rock and the only reason that I am where I am today. And any time that I have those self-doubts and I need to seek out the inner validation that you're mentioning, I quite literally hear her voice in my head. And I speak to her every day. And she is my biggest confidant and the, the one advisor that I always will listen to no matter what. I'm so, so lucky that I have her. And I, I just wish that everyone would have a Radhika in their life. <laughs> She's amazing. love you, mom.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. I wish I had a Radhika in my life. That's beautiful really is. Do you feel like the world is changing now, the kind of the Western part of the world that we kind of live in? Are South Asian people and women getting more of a voice now than they did before? Do you see a shift from, say, when you were a child to now?
0: I absolutely think that there has been a shift, um, especially in entertainment, right? Mm. I think entertainment is such a reflection of what's happening in larger society as a whole. And the fact that we have so many of these TV shows about uh, people like us, that in itself tells me everything that I need to know. You know, I run in circles in New York City that have all these really incredible South Asian women creators who are doing incredible things. So I kind of feel like I get locked into a bubble sometimes where Mm -hmm. I'm surrounded by so much South Asian excellence that I kind of almost feel like it's just everywhere So it is a little bit hard for me to see what the larger landscape looks like, like maybe across the rest of the states or even beyond. But um, as far as I can tell, like if I were a young girl right now, I think my image of myself and like my spatial awareness of who I am in this culture would look so, so different. I'm so happy that I get to be a part of that, though, right? Like I don't want to sit here and say, I wish I had it. Of course, I wish I had it. But if anything, I'm just thankful that I get to contribute to that now.
1: And and almost live in it. Yeah. Right. I Relish like it. Yeah. I really like that. What have been some of the responses from other South Asian women to say your work? Have any younger women come up to you? What do they say to you?
0: The responses are f- widely ranging. From younger women, it's a lot of, I admire what you do, How can I do something like what you did? How can I pivot my career? Or, Mm. you know, I feel like pivot isn't even the right way of saying it. It's a lot of people ask me how they can do both. How can I pursue STEM and also be creative? Or how can I be an engineer and also be an artist? Or I like to DJ on the side, but I'm a neuroscience major. Like, can I actually do both of those things? The answer is yes. But it's hard when you don't have anyone in your Mm. life telling you that, right? Yeah from older women it's a very different story from um women that are around my mom's age they're so kind they're so sweet and they are so excited that somebody this young is doing these sorts of things I think that there's just a lot of like excitement and rooting for me that like You really did all of that and you're still doing this and that's so great and we're just really proud of you. You know, having a community in the brown world is so important and it's going to be there regardless. Like the aunties and uncles are going to be around. So it's always nice when they also provide you with that validation because, you know, I think that also reflects really well on my parents. And as an Indian person, as a child of immigrants, that is very important to me. It's, it's not the, like, low kya vibe. It's more like I know that my work and my uh, career or just my life in general is a reflection of my parents. And although I'm very proud of myself in my own right, I'm even more proud that they get to say that I did these yeah. things, right? Yeah. Because it all comes back to them. I can't take all of the credit for where I am today without them. And it's nice to hear from the people in my community that they also recognize that.
1: What do you think is something that brown women creatives or just brown women in general would like more of in the world now? What do we need that we don't have? Diversity. Hmm. Diversity. We
0: are not a monolith. I mean, our Indian people, South Asian people are not a monolith, but particularly women. Right. Because even now, yes, it's very progressive and things are changing. But, you know, let's bring it back to entertainment for a moment. Right. I'm so, so happy that there's so much representation for us. And I'm especially happy that so much of it has to do with Mindy Kaling. I mean, she is a pioneer in what she does today. And no matter what people say about her, I feel like we have to give credit where credit is due. And she has paved the way for so many people and this is not just a Mindy Kaling problem, but I do find a lot of the times that these roles that are written for brown women tend to feel kind of similar. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of the feeding into the insecurity of being mm-hmm. in a brown woman in America or abroad and and then, you know, having like the, the white love interest uh, mm-hmm. and then having the pain points of like cultural differences. And yeah. those stories are important because they are real and they are reflective of real people's experiences, but that's not everyone's experience. And I think the biggest topic right now is that the people who are speaking out against these things don't relate to those stories and they have their own stories. We have our own stories. So, you know, it's it's a upwards curve and I think we have gone past the threshold. And now we're at a point where I think that there is space for these very diverse types of stories. And it's up to us as brown women in the arts to bring those stories to light.
1: Absolutely agree. And I think what we shouldn't do is become whatever. There was an old cliche of what an Indian woman was like. Right. And now there's another sort of specific narrative of like, this is what a South Asian American woman does or feels or whatever. And the diversity of experience that you are talking about is what we need to see reflected so that a lot more people can see themselves reflected in the entertainment on tv in magazines and whatever media they're consuming i think Mm -hmm. because otherwise we risk kind of losing this momentum and i think this it's almost like an expanding outwards here's where we are now and we expand 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 to include a lot more people in this conversation right exactly
0: yeah i mean we haven't even touched on the conversation of like queer representation or non-binary representation i mean it it goes far far beyond what we're doing right now but we are on the right path i think we are paving the way and it is on the horizon it's in our future but we have to prioritize it
1: what is your connection to south asian culture like if you were to describe it like What is that feeling for you? What does it feel like or taste like or smell like? What is it for you personally?
0: The feeling is not tangible. It doesn't feel like a separation or a part of my life. It's just simply who I am. And I have always said that I feel like I kind of ride this wave of being in like a third culture. Mm. Um, Having grown up abroad, whether that's the UK or the US, while still maintaining really close ties to my family in India, speaking the language fluently, cooking the food, wearing the outfits, watching the movies, listening to the music. You know, the things that most people will say uh, keeps them attached to the culture. But more importantly, especially in my adulthood, it's been this really interesting ride of understanding my parents differently too, because Mm -hmm. being the child of immigrants really changes the way you see the world because in a lot of ways you don't see the world the same way that your parents do and there's no way you can change that. There's so many things that they will never understand about me because I'm American and so many things about them I'll never understand because they're Indian and even though they've been abroad for so long they still carry a lot of these things that I, I just have never had to deal with right um, And so in adulthood I think it's it's just been interesting. A learning curve for both me and my parents, just coming to the understanding that there are things that we won't agree on, but we can still live in the same space, in the same world and be a part of the same culture, but just in different ways.
1: So if five-year-old Tanya was sitting here with us today, what would you say to her? I'm so proud of you. I
0: I wouldn't say anything that could possibly change the trajectory of five-year-old Tanya's life. I would, I would give support. I'd probably play Barbies with her a little bit. And then I would walk away because there truly is nothing that I would change about my upbringing, my life, my story to get to where I am right now. And it's like the butterfly effect, you know, God forbid that I go back and say something to her that makes her, you know, never choose to do, to work at NASA or never choose to become an artist. But, you know, I, I do think about that sometimes where you speak to your inner child and is that child proud of you? Is that child happy to see that you're doing what you're doing? And I, I think that she is. I think that she's watching me right now and she's elated that I get to live this life.
1: I think she is as well. Finally, would you have any words or advice for listeners of a podcast? As you know, it's full of, it's just mostly brown women, brown South Asian women. I think 99% of my audience. <laughs> is there anything you'd like to say to them?
0: cheesy as it is follow your dreams genuinely just follow your dreams follow your passions listen to your heart listen to your gut surround yourself with people who uplift you if you sense any nuzzer you abandon you run in the opposite direction (laughs) only surround yourself with positivity and say yes you know take risks say yes to things especially when you're young don't lean into the imposter syndrome and carry yourself like you're a cis straight white guy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's going to be my top takeout from here. You know, <laughs> what would a what would a cis straight white man do? Absolutely, good words, good words. Thank you so much, <laughs> Tanya Gupta. It's been an absolute joy and pleasure to chat with you. Thank you so much for kind of opening up your 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 world and your life to me, and talking about all of the things that you talked about today thank you for being a masala podcast
0: likewise thank you so so much for having me on here and i love what you're doing it's so important to uplift the voices of people like us and i genuinely really appreciate you allowing me to come on here and talk my shit
1: thank you for listening to masala podcast masala podcast is part of my platform soul sutras dedicated to celebrating and supporting South Asian women. This is a space for all of us bad babies who don't do as we're told. This is where we get to celebrate our culture our way and be exactly who we want to be. I'd love to hear from you. Get in touch via email at soulsutras.co.uk or my website soulsutras.co.uk I'm also on Instagram and Twitter. Just look for Soul Sutras. Masala Podcast was created and presented by me, Sangeeta Pillai, produced by Anushka Tate, opening music by Sonny Robertson. Besharam, Sharam, me, Gandhi, hi, hi, bad betty. Hi, Mehu Kabir, Tor Mehu Yogi. Yes, we are two guys, and yes, we are in love. We are... India mein gay India and gay gay in a gay couple? Hona kya hota hai? Together we will try and decode that in our With generous helpings of Desi style, Ashiki, only in our podcast, Shuddh Desi Gay, a Spotify original. Produced by RM Word Pictures. New episodes out every Monday.